In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now today we are taking up the theme of the four-cornered foundation of Christian service. And those four corners are these. Encouragement in Christ, comfort from love, participation in the Spirit, affection, and sympathy. This last summer... For our youth mission trip, we found ourselves in the Louisville, Kentucky area and in southern Indiana, just across the river there from Louisville, uh, the Lutheran camp in southern Indiana, Camp Lakeview. Actually, our kids back when we lived in Kentucky would go to Camp Lakeview here and there. Uh, the camp was developing a new property just north of Louisville for the sake of family camping. You know, they wanted to have a, a place where, where families could come and focus on Christ together and be built up in their bonds of love to each other and their bonds of love with Christ. And we got to play a part in that. And it's pretty exciting. They were in the very beginning of their, their development of this property. And on this property was a, an old log home from the, the pioneer times, a really remarkable building actually. And they were renovating that in order to be the, the headquarters for that camp. That's where the offices would be, where you would come and check in and all that kind of stuff. So uh, we found ourselves helping to renovate this building and it had all kinds of problems. And one of the most serious problems was the fact that it had a faulty roof. There were all kinds of problems with the roof. But we weren't working on the roof. The contractor, a man who specializes in restoring log buildings, said, no, we can't do that because before we work on the roof, we have to make sure that all the logs are just the way they should be. Because, you know, we might have to jack up some logs in order to remove some logs and replace some logs. we got to make sure those logs are in good shape. But we can't make those logs in good shape unless first... We fix up the crumbly foundation. That makes no sense to build upon a, a, a foundation which isn't solid. So that's what we did. We found ourselves going and carrying big, huge blocks of stone to help shore up this foundation. I'm a weightlifter. I may not look like it underneath the pudge, but I've got some muscle underneath here. And you might think, what in the world do you need that muscle for as a pastor? Well, there you go to help the youth group carry big blocks of stone around. In any case, St. Paul here lays a firm foundation, a four-cornered foundation for the sake of Christian service. We're going to talk about that a little bit. The first is encouragement in Christ. Now, we hear that word encouragement and a lot of times we think to ourselves, you know, just someone saying, you go, right? That's what encouragement is. If we look at the root of that word, we see it's a really powerful word. What's at the root of that word? Courage. Courage. And that's a uniquely Christian Virtue. That as we look to the future, we are not filled with fear, 
don't have tremors of trepidation. Instead, we have confidence, courage, hope. Now, this is not to say that as Christians we deny the fact that there can be all kinds of troubles, difficulties, even persecutions as a Christian. We acknowledge that. We anticipate that. That's part and parcel of Christian courage. That even though we know that the Christian life consists in sacrifice, even though we know that the Christian life consists in being despised, that even though, though we know that living in this world is full of danger, we press on for the hope that is laid up for us. Christian courage is founded upon a knowledge that we have that, that nobody else does. And that's the knowledge about how the story ends. We know where this world is going. We're studying part of this in the book of Revelation weekdays, by the way. We know where the world is going. And we know that as St. Paul said in our epistle lesson that in the end, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. We know that he reigns now in a way that is hidden, in a way that is mysterious. But we know that in the day to come, he will be vindicated, that he will reign in glory in a way that no one will be able to deny. Therefore, even as he humbled himself, we humble ourselves. Even as he served, so also we serve. Because we know that, that even though we do such things that we will be repaid on the day to come. Those who are worldly minded, their only heritage is this world. And therefore, like cowards, they cling to their time that they have in this world. They cling to their treasure that they have in this world. They, they cling to the talent that they have in this world. That's all they have. But our inheritance, it is untellable just how vast it is. Our inheritance in heaven. And therefore, we do not cling to these treasures, but rather we gladly give. Loving our neighbor, even as Christ has loved us. Let's bring this to our second point today. That we serve because of the corner of the encouragement that we have in Christ and also the comfort from love. The Christian teaching about God's love, it's profoundly Christian. And I'm just struck by this more and more. What an 
earth-shattering teaching, the, the teaching that God is a God of love is. I've, I've hit on this multiple times over the past months, but it bears repeating. God is a God of love. All his works of love are works of love. When he created us, this is a work of love. When he redeemed us, this is a work of love. As he brought us into his kingdom, this is a work of love. It's a profoundly different thing than what the rest of the world says. It's in our epistle lesson, St. Paul gives a picture of the love of Christ. A love which caused him to become incarnate. And he, he turns on its head the selfish nature of the gods and goddesses of the pagans, the heathens, all those who surrounded God's people, Christians. The, the ancient myths of the Greek and the Roman gods and goddesses, these are gods and goddesses of selfishness, looking for their own pleasure, looking for their own power. And subjecting others to their whims as they just desire. And in these accounts of these gods and goddesses, there are accounts of humans who because of their power and their might and their accomplishments become gods. But the Christian story turns all of this on its head. Not that a man became a god by means of his power and strength. Someone like Hercules, for example. But rather, because God is a god of love, God becomes man and humbles himself and serves rather than just subjecting others to his whims for his own pleasure and power. Now you might say to yourself, well, Pastor Chris, that was 2,000 years ago, but what about today? How does how this teach us anything unique about today? <laughs> Profoundly so. Today we don't have many people worshiping Zeus or Athena or any of these gods and goddesses, although paganism actually is becoming a little bit more common with some very disturbing things associated with it. You could talk to me about that some other time outside of the sermon. What is certainly very common are the beliefs of the atheists. What do the atheists teach about you? The atheists want you to believe that you are an accident. That you just happen to come to be by the jumbling together of huge amounts of space and time. The Eastern religions these days are very popular. Many people think that the Eastern religions, well, they're not problematic. Both the Eastern religions teach something much more dark about our human individuality our human existence the atheists say that we're accidents the eastern religions say that you are a mistake 
And salvation for both of the Eastern religions, they go about it in a slightly different way, but salvation for both of the Eastern religions, Hinduism and Buddhism, it says that salvation just is you as an individual ceasing to exist. That's what salvation consists of in their worldview. Christianity teaches something far different. Christianity teaches that you, every single one of you, is an act of God's love. Far from being an accident, far from being a mistake, God lovingly knit you together in your mother's womb. And it is out of that love for you that he sent his son, Jesus, to take that form of a servant and to redeem you even though you rejected his love through your sins. That is a true word of comfort. That's a profound Christian belief. God is a God of love who created us out of his love, who redeemed us out of his love. And in his love, he sanctifies us as well. What does that mean to be sanctified? This means that we are transformed by his love. That through his love, our hearts are transformed. And we become those who love him in turn. This brings us to our third point. Any participation in the spirit. Sadly, brothers and sisters in Christ, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, I've known many Christians who have a great deal of anxiety on this point. They're not sure if they have the spirit. They're not sure if they participate in the spirit. This is a sad consequence of some false teaching that was common about 50, 60 years ago. And it still even persists today. The teaching of the Spirit is not a teaching to cause us anxiety. It's a teaching of great comfort. It's a teaching that contributes to our Christian courage. Let me ask you a few questions. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, come in human flesh? No one can confess that the Son of God took on human flesh apart from the Spirit. Do you believe that Christ died for you? And that your sins have been removed from you on account of his death? This too is something that you can only believe by the power of the Spirit. Because we cannot come to the Lord Jesus Christ or trust in Him apart from the Holy Spirit, His gospel, and His gifts. Brothers and sisters in Christ, if you love the Lord Jesus, if you trust in Him, you have the Spirit. You participate in Him. For it is the Spirit who transformed your heart to look to God in faith. And it is the same Spirit 
which transforms your heart not only to God, but also to each other. Which brings up our final point, any affection and sympathy. Uh, the word there for affection that St. Paul uses, the root of this word is a verb, uh, splagnizomai. Many people believe that splagnizomai is an onomatopoetic word, an onomatopoeia. So to take you back to sixth grade English class, an onomatopoeia is a word that makes the sound that it describes. So for example, clap. Can I hear that? It, it clap. Sounds like a clap. That's an example of an onomatopoeia. Well, splagnizomai, many people believe, is an onomatopoeia that more or less sounds like the sounds that your guts make when they're kind of moving around a little bit inside of you, okay? It has to do with internal motion, internal change. It's the same word that is used of Christ when it says that he saw the crowds and they were like sheep without a shepherd and he had compassion on them. It's a word which refers to internal change. And you, brothers and sisters in Christ, are transformed internally through the work of the Spirit. Hearts which once dead and cold now beat with life and a life of love towards God and a life of love towards the neighbor and so therefore our Christian service to others is a service not of external compulsion but rather a service of internal desire, a service full of love. And that's our four-cornered foundation of Christian service. We serve because we have the courage of Christians. We serve because even as we have the comfort of God's love, so also we reflect that love for others. We serve because we have the Spirit, the Spirit which transforms us and empowers us to do the works that God has called us to do. We serve not because we have to, but instead, we serve out of internal heartfelt desire to reflect God's love for others. Today, as we said, is when we observe LWML Sunday. And our Lutheran Women's Missionary League offers many opportunities to serve our neighbor. First of all, it encourages our women to serve their neighbor within their own personal lives. It kind of goes by two names, Lutheran women in mission. So it encourages women to, to lead out the life of love that we have been called to. And we can participate along with them in their work. As we, for example, participate in gathering in school kits and things of this nature. Also goes by the name Lutheran Women's Missionary League, and this reflects 
The other purpose of the LWML, and this is to support the work of mission around the world. The great symbol of the LWML and that work is the mite box. There's a little supply of these back in the narthex. And just as the, widow's, as the widow put in her two mites, her two small copper coins, and this was an act of great love, an act honored by the Lord. So also the LWML invites us, all of us, you don't have to be a woman to have a mite box, to offer up coins for the sake of God's kingdom, which is a gather together an accumulated amount to a great outpouring of mission support around the world. So I encourage you, brothers and sisters in Christ, to to hold up the LWML in your prayers, to, to participate along with them in the work and mission, and to support the work of missions around the world, and to do so because you can answer yes to all of these questions. That you are encouraged with the Christ, that you are comforted in his love, participate in the spirit, and have an affection and sympathy. To the Lord God be all praise and honor in the name of the Father and of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please rise for the